How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling. And this is our 100th episode. And we have enjoyed doing the show with you so far. And we'll continue to do it unless some unforeseen events prevent that from happening. But uh, Like me getting a better offer. Right. Well, hey, if uh, CM Punk, who might not have a job much longer, offers you the host position... I'd tell you to go to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we, we uh, have a lot of fun and uh, we're always trying to find new topics and uh, new ways to bring in viewers and listeners. So we will continue to do that. And we wanted to do something a little bit more special for our 100th episode. And initially I had thought about something having to do with favorite matches, but I was like, well, that's so, you know, humdrum and boring. I don't want to do just that. So I decided that we would tackle some of our favorite matches by decade. And we're going to start with not a decade, but we're going to start with our favorite matches from the pre-golden era. We'll just call it that. I haven't really worked out the title other than that yet, but uh, we're talking anything from before 1980 is fair game. And obviously that makes this a little bit more challenging for anybody who has gone and viewed stuff from before 1980 because not every event was televised or videotaped and the ones that were they might not have had the best uh technical uh things going on to make it you know good like sometimes they didn't have commentators um maybe the lighting was bad maybe the camera work was bad it could be any number of things um so only and also only so much is out there as Leonard and I have have discovered and the fact that WWE's content which encompasses a lot of different companies now is on Peacock it makes it tougher because it's not nearly as organized as the WWE network was so trying to find some of these gems uh, can be an uphill battle so it comes down to sometimes what you can find <laughs> what's easily accessible um am i right leonard yeah i mean i would probably call my list three matches i randomly came across and liked well enough right and you know it your last comment there brings up another point which is the matches before 1980 you kind of have to put yourself in that time and place yes the style of wrestling was different and what crowds were anxious to see was different it wasn't a lot of high flying stuff and you know the hardcore stuff was not there at least not to the extent as it is now certainly there was blood in matches uh but it was just you would see different styles and we'll touch on that as we go over our matches now usually when Leonard and i pick uh our favorites or least favorites of anything we usually have three each and uh that is the case here however i did watch as much as I could to try and prepare for this. And as I watched more, I would think about somebody else. A lot of what helped me, Leonard, when I was trying to do this was I would think of a guy that was popular before 1980. And then I would say, okay, let me Google that person's 10 best matches. And then I would consult that list and see what was available. And <laughs> sometimes the stuff would be available and other times it wasn't. And the stuff that was available, it might not have been labeled all correctly and you might not know the date and the reason the date is important 
is because some guys were popular from the late 70s into the early 80s. So, and the feuds would carry over from one decade to another. Um, so it kind of makes, you know, we want our list to be accurate at least. So, well, my, my, I was similar. I had a hard time figuring out where to start. And good friend of the show, Ronnie, said, look at like the PWI matches of the year. So I, I went to there, and then from there, it was kind of like figuring out what guys would I like to look at, what guys would I like to explore more. There was one specific match that I thought of that I did find, um, and then there was a couple others. Like, I, uh, like to be honest with you, the very first match I thought of was Bruno San Martino versus Larry Zabisco, and that happened in 1980. That's funny. I actually thought of that as well, and I watched that, and then I realized after watching it, oh, crap, that's 1980. Um, I'll, what are some of Bruno's other known feuds? And we'll get there, obviously. Yes. Um, yes yeah, yeah. So yeah. let me start out with my honorable mentions. Sure. I, have, I have a couple listed here. Um, and, you know, I guess the only reason I didn't put them on my top three list is maybe because there was more of a feud situation going on with some of my others. But... One match I watched, um, which was pretty long. It wasn't an hour-long Broadway, but I think it was between 40, uh, 45 and 50 minutes or so. And that is Terry Funk versus Harley Race, NWA Championship from July 1st, 1977. <laughs> um, so this is pre-facial hair Terry Funk mm -hmm. and pre-Japan hardcore legend Terry Funk. Um, and this match, as a lot of Harley Race's matches, you know, it really does make you look at some of the complaints that you take of people today where, you know, like say, oh, all these person's moves are the same and this person does the same thing every match. You know, and Harley Race, as good as he was in the ring, a lot of his matches did look very similar. However, what Harley Race brought to the table and certainly Terry Funk was psychology. And this match had really great psychology and it was a two out of three falls match. A lot of matches on both of our lists R2 yeah. falls, incidentally. And um, this match was really well. It, it Like most of the two out of three falls matches we're probably going to talk about, it starts a little bit slow and then builds and builds and builds. And uh, this one would have uh, the referee call the match after they each got a fall, call the match because of Terry Funk's blood loss, which from my vantage point, Harley Race gave him the hard way. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's right above the eye, and everything I've heard and read says that's where you uh, try to open a guy up is right above the eye. So, yeah, really good match. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, another Harley Race match on my honorable mentions list is Harley Race versus Jumbo Saruta. Um, and this match was from July 20th, 1978, and is All Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, the reason I didn't put this one on here is because these guys faced each other a lot from the late 70s into the early 80s, and not all of the matches are labeled correctly. For instance, the one I watched, the, guy, the, original, the poster says it's from 1978, but there is no indication of that because the commentary and all is, is all in Japanese. Um, the uh, terms of the match, like, you know, kind of balance out, like it's supposed to be two out of three falls, and that's what the, the one I watched was. Again, very good. Jumbo Saruta is a big guy. He might not be as known as some of the other Japanese legends out there, um, but, uh, he, uh, is a name that I came across a few times. He also apparently had a match in, uh, 1979 with Nick Bockwinkle, 
which is a match that uh, name that I came across Leonard. I didn't get a chance to watch that one though. Um, Nick Bockwinkle was mainly at his peak in the eighties, but um, he apparently had a match with Jumbo Saruta, which also was North of 50 minutes. Um, So I will get a chance to check that out at some point, but uh, yeah, a Harley race Jumbo Saruta, definitely people I recommend checking out if you want to check out this era of wrestling. So in that note, we will go to Leonard's first match. And I don't know if these, Probably are not in any particular order. I was just going to go in chronological order, but I'm going in chronological order too, as well, I believe. So, my first match is a WWF World Heavyweight Title Steel Cage match Bruno San Martino versus Stan Hansen from Madison Square Garden in August 1976. The whole video found on YouTube is about 18 minutes. So, Hansen versus San Martino from April of the year was the PWI match of the year. And I could not find that, but I found this and wound up watching this, which I believe is the blow off to their feud and enjoy, enjoyed this well enough. I will say that Stan Hansen with the Ric Flair hair is very jarring to see. It is. If you only know him from later on in the eighties. <laughs> um, one thing I will say about every video that, that we have that were match in the video, the match that we're watching is that the crowds always seem to be crazy hot. Yeah. That's one thing I know. As soon as Bruno came out, that place was unglued. Yep. And that was pretty much the case for everything here. So, um, quick walk through Hanson jumps Bruno at the bell, and it just becomes a great wild brawl. You know, brawl. This is what a steel cage match should be. It's fighting, it's fast paced, there's a lot of shots to the cage. It's not a wrestling match, it's a fight. Both guys work this very specific style with it. And it's a nice mix of kind of there's some wrestling, there's some street fighting. Um, it's nice that way because it tells a story. Uh, these are professional wrestlers, and, but they hate each other and they're going to go at it. Uh, there's a spot where Bruno Brock blocks uh, a lariat with a knee, which I thought was a really good spot. Uh, he drops several knees to the back of Hanson, applies a Boston Crab, and Hanson bites his hand to break it, which I thought was a great break. Uh, that whole sequence, uh, you know, was, was a, again, a great mix of the fighting and the wrestling and the hatred these guys have. Uh, Hanson doesn't bleed till late, which I think is smart. I think what you see today is when a guy bleeds like the recent match between John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta that we watched for our random matches, he bleeds in the first, you know, minute. And then where do you go? So I like the fact here that Hansen bleeds late, that they build to the bleeding. Um, Hansen has a loaded elbow pad, which he calls his lariat. And San Martino steals that because it's supposed to be loaded. And he brutally just wails on Hansen with it, just beats him and beats him and beats him. And Hansen gets tied up in the ropes and that allows Bruno to escape and walk right out. So, you know, I think this is a great pre-1980 match because a modern audience, I think, can get into it and like it. I would put this up against any cage match of the last 20 years or so with just the intensity of it and the story told here. Yeah, I like this one, too. This was the first match uh, I watched upon researching this topic because I think it's oh, one okay. of the first ones that comes up. Um, and, you know, I feel like this is probably how a lot of Bruno's feuds went. You know, this was the blow off match. Um, the difference here was it was a little bit more serious because uh, Stan Hansen had allegedly broken Bruno's neck. Yes, and, yes, I believe that was the April match. Yes. Yeah. And he was out for a while. And so this was the revenge match. This was all about Bruno kind of getting his revenge on Stan Hansen. And uh, Stan Hansen was much more in shape here. And maybe he was able to see a little bit better, as uh, I've always been told. He was blind. So, like, whenever he threw that lariat, 
it was coming at you fast. So, um, but no, this one, this was a good match. It wasn't too long and, uh, you know, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, like you said, it was fast paced and, uh, you know, the crowd was loving every minute of it. So, you know, also my first match that I'm going to talk about is probably the only reason we can't call this best matches of the seventies, um, which is I have Luthez versus Vern Gagne from Chicago in January 25th, 1952. And this is a two out of three falls match. Uh, the video is about 55 minutes or so. And uh, so there's a lot of these old matches out there to find, you know, if you know where to dig for them, is this the best one out there? I have no idea because I'd be lying to you if I said I saw all the matches that Luthez was in. Um, but I felt like I needed to highlight one of them here because of what some of these guys represent. You have Luthez, who is a legend, you know, in every circle of wrestling, and Vern Gagne, who would go on to become the AWA promoter. So, like, these are two really known pro wrestling names, and they're fighting each other here. And look, it's the same way if you're going to go back and watch a movie from 1935. If you're going to go back and watch a wrestling match from 1952, don't expect table spots. Don't expect <laughs> power bombs, although Luthez apparently invented the power bomb. Yeah. But um, don't expect a lot of the stuff you're used to today. This match starts slowly and it does build. And some of the moves that don't mean anything today meant a lot in this match. And that's what I liked. I, this this match was really well built to me. I didn't think I was going to like this when I sat down to watch it. I was like, well, I should try to watch one of these and see how it is. you know. And like I said, there are others out there. But I sat down to watch this, and I actually really liked it. It starts slow with a lot of headlock and mat work, but it builds and builds and builds. You have Luthez getting the first fall with a back suplex, which is more – his suplex is basically on the head. Um and then later on, you have Vern Gagne getting his trademark maneuver, which was a sleeper hold. And uh, then, of course, the time runs out and it's a draw. So uh, it's a two out of three false match that ends in a draw. If you tried that today, the crowd would go insane booing people out of the building. But at this point, you know, I don't know if the crowd was particularly thrilled, but uh, they seemed to enjoy it from where I was sitting. Um, and. What was fascinating to me about this match, Leonard, was the fact that Luthez was doing a lot of heel stuff. I personally did not know that. I did not know that like Luthez leaned on the heel side of things from time to time um, because I found that very interesting, you know, because he was getting cheap shots in and, you know, the commentator was, you know, explaining like that's why the crowd tends to boo him. Uh, Vern Gagne was clearly more of the face in this match uh younger and you know very hungry it's just weird to see Vern Gagne this young um but yeah I I enjoyed this um it will never make anybody's best matches ever but it's a part of history and if you're doing pre-1980s matches you got to talk about Luthez somewhere so Leonard what'd you think if you did watch this I don't I did I did watch everything that, that you sent me that was going to be on your list and where that match came from is the Chicago Film Archive and there yeah. are several other matches there I started watching one between Luthez and Don Leo Jonathan because I've never seen anything from Don Leo Jonathan I've been very interested 
and seeing something from him. I didn't get, I wasn't able to get through all that because of time constraints, but I did watch all this. And one thing I will say, even though it is long, it doesn't like feel long to me. I wasn't right. checking my watch, you know, every two minutes. Right. Like how much more do I have to watch of this? And I think it was because, as you said, it builds very well. It's a lot of mat work. I do really like how Vern works the headlock because he grinds the arm. Yeah. He's grinding the ear. A lot of these things like headlocks, chin locks, stuff, when a guy applies it today, it's a rest hold. Or it's a, hey, we need to slow down, talk for a second. Hold. Yeah, and to, to interrupt you for just one second, uh, mm -hmm. to quote Mickey James, who said this on Busted Open many moons ago, the wrestlers are half selling and the audience is half caring. And that goes along to what you're saying. When yes. they do stuff like that now, they're just doing it to do it because, well, that's what I was taught. They're not doing it to any effect, but go ahead. Yes, and again, it's being done to effect here. They're, they're working, you know, Fez is selling, Vern is grinding it. Um, they're, they're using these holds, not just, again, as a rest hold, as well, it's just what we do. It's part of the actual match itself. And I, and I think it helps to build the story. As you said, um, I was surprised to kind of see Luthez working heel. And I like how it's subtle. Like he doesn't start with it, but it, it, it creeps in and it creeps in more and more as he gets more and more vexed with Vern Gagne. Right. And two, it's really weird to see these guys this young because from our vantage point, we did not see any of these guys until the 1980s when they were old, they were retired, they were, you know, pop up as special guests on different things. Right. Uh, of, of that nature. Um, and I think, too, when you talk about the finish, I think the, the audience of that time period was programmed to accept that, that it was the best two out three falls or a 60-minute time limit, whichever came first. So I assume back then they did a lot of these with the traveling champion, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, yeah. where, where you would have Fez come into the territory, go up against your top baby face, and do this where it's and and the thing was that Vern had Fez in the um in in the sleeper hold at the very very end, and then the time runs out. Right, which is kind of a, a classic thing there. And also another thing I know is that Luthez does a Fez press. And I was going to say that for Stone Cold fans. <laughs> yes, and it's just called a body press because. Like he just invented that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, but no, I actually did enjoy this, and I'm. And you talk about there's so little that's out there. There seems to be kind of pockets of footage from certain areas. Right. Um, we both have four matches from Madison Square Garden on our lists, and that's because that MSG was really there at the beginning of both a, a closed circuit TV. And um, and cable, you know, with the Madison Square Garden Network. So they taped a lot of stuff. The Chicago Film Archive seems to have a lot of stuff from the Chicago area. Uh, so, you know, if you say, hey, you guys are kind of centered on certain things, it's because that's what was available. But I surprisingly did this match as well. Yeah, and, you know, this is why it's important, whether we're talking about wrestling or television or movies, uh, you know, to preserve some of these archives. So whenever you see stuff to support some of these um, companies, organizations, what have you, um, it's absolutely worth it because, uh, you know, we need to keep keep these relics alive for people to watch. But uh, Leonard, what's your second match? 
The second match is another WWF World Heavyweight title match. It's Superstar Billy Graham versus Dusty Rhodes from Madison Square Garden, September 26th of 1977. Old videos, about 23 minutes, found on YouTube. And this was the match I thought to go looking for because it is the uh, infamous Cody Rhodes, the night they took the belt off my daddy in the garden match. It is, yes. Yes, so if, so he did this promo in AEW talking about this. When he got to WWE, he kind of reiterated this. He was on a quest for the title till he got injured because he won the belt that they took off his daddy. And this is the match he's talking about here. So um, it's very interesting to see Dusty Rhodes of this period. One, he's a lot thinner. And two, he's working like a dancing, shucking, and jiving kind of thing. Yeah. And, and he's up against Billy Graham. I would not call this man versus man but personality versus personality sure. the characters here are the story of the match you talk about a tv show or a movie that's character driven this match is character driven it's, it's kind of slow to start with uh with road surprisingly uh surprising graham early on with his power being able to stand toe to toe with him that sort of, of the story like graham's like this guy can't stand with me and then he does so the story becomes Graham trying to make Rhodes wrestle his match, and Rhodes is able to do that. Right. Great visuals throughout. I thought, like, even though it's mostly a static camera, there's some good shots here. Uh, Graham falls to the floor and can't get back in the ring. So that's oh, sorry, backed up. I jumped some in my notes, but so what happens is that Graham falls out of the ring and he can't get back in. So he loses by count out and then dusty parades around with the belt right and acts like he won the crowd thinks he's the champion and it's yeah. announced that he's not and this might be the first ever bullshit chant in wrestling who knows <laughs> yeah clearly hear them chanting bullshit uh it's kind of brawly it's kind of power wrestling Again, I think this is something that maybe a modern audience could get into because of the character work from the two guys. And two, because Cody Rhodes has kind of brought this back, I could see where some people would want to go and find this and watch it. So um, yeah. I was I was thoroughly entertained by, by this. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder if there wasn't a point where maybe you, a belt would change hands on a count out or a DQ or something of that nature. Because it's, because everyone seems like, they believe Dusty is champion until it is announced that he is not. So, right. Not sure what was going on with that. Well, so this match, it was interesting. When I saw this one on your list, I thought, oh, I've seen that match because in the past year, I actually went through some of the older matches on Dusty Rhodes' DVD set. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the matches between he and Superstar Billy Graham is on there, but it is not this one. It is the Texas Death match. But yes, which is the one one that I found. Uh, I don't know if I actually found the clip, but mentioned on a list. But again, this is the one I wanted to watch because of the Kobe. Right. And so then I'm glad I watched it because in my head, I was like, oh, I don't need to watch that. I already just watched this one like within a few months. Um, but no, this is the, you know, the start of the feud and the Texas death match is the uh, blow off. And uh, that one is certainly a very bloody affair. And I would say just as well worth watching um as the one leonard mentioned but uh this match in particular um one of the things now dusty Rhodes and his personality and how great he was to watch in the ring like everybody knows that and understands that i do think however superstar billy graham gets a little bit underrated in terms of how he was able to make every other guy that he went up against look outstanding 
Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who they brag in each match. He has 22, 23 inch, you know, arms before the 26 inch pythons of Hogan. And, um, you know, he's bigger than most of the guy he's, he's in the ring with, but yet he is acting like these other guys are just, you know, head and toes, head and shoulders above him um, in every way of the ring. So it's really great to watch that. And yeah, this was, this was a very good match and uh, you know, Dusty started off really strong and uh, it, the crowd was hot for his, you know, win. But again, like you said, they were kind of faked out there and uh, didn't like the end result. But uh, yeah, I like this match too. Um, the next match is also superstar Billy Graham, but it is versus Bruno San Martino from August 1st, 1977 uh, WWF at Madison Square Garden. This is for the WWWF Championship. So these two wrestled a lot. And I actually watched like four or five of their matches um, because I was trying to locate this one. And this is because this was the match that's on the lists. And all the other matches I found, I found one from 85, or I'm sorry, 75, before Superstar was really as popular as he would be. Um, I found one from uh after this feud like in real late 70s like 79 maybe uh when bruno came back after neither of them were champion um and then i found the infamous match where superstar beat bruno by putting his legs on the ropes and winning the title after i think at that run it was like four years or something for bruno um so this match is the return match this is champion superstar Billy Graham and Bruno is trying to get the belt back. This is the match he gets to avenge his loss. And uh, this match was really good. And the reason I think this one is better is because Bruno is acting differently in this one. Like he is a man out on a mission and he, he has a lot of energy in this match. Whereas the other matches, it's basically a strength versus strength type of affair. Superstar Billy Graham is obviously very large. Bruno is always known for his strength as well. So the match is kind of centered on that, like who's going to get the upper hand from a strength perspective. This match is different because there's more of a uh, revenge factor going on. And uh, there's a lot more brawling in this. And, uh, you know, Bruno's matches are sometimes a little rough around the edges. But, you know, when he's really motivated, as he is in this feud and certainly in the Zabisco feud into the 80s, um, the matches are really a lot of fun to watch. Um, so that's why I put this one on here because it's definitely the best of this feud. And, um, you know, although, you know, the only, I think the first time there was like an actual clean, well, clean, but Bruno would get a clean victory before these guys started to feud. And then he would get one after they were on the outskirts of it. But, uh, the only way to see this match is by going to the Peacock network. And uh, you probably could type in Bruno versus superstar Billy Graham and come across this, but it's called WWE's grudge matches. So you would find it on there. Uh, but Leonard, what'd you think of this one? Yeah. Well, one thing you didn't mention was the fact that uh, girl monsoon is the special guest referee. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. Because like that, that's what, and you know what, that's what makes it more entertaining because yes. he's like such a factor in the match. And like, I was wondering if I watched the right match because yeah. I'm like, you haven't mentioned Gorilla at all. And he's like, clearly a third of what's going on. Yes, absolutely. And it makes it, and he's doing commentary 
over his own refereeing job as well, yes. which is a lot of fun because he's talking about how much he weighed at the time. And <laughs> he is huge here. I think he said he was 430 and he yeah. certainly loves it. Yeah. But yeah, this, this, yeah, I mean, watching him insert himself into the action uh, was great. And you, it actually made the match have a lot more impact, I think, because, you know, they had to bring in somebody like that to, you know, uh, have law and order in the uh, ring, so to speak. So, well, you know, one thing I didn't like here was 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 the finish because uh, Gorilla lets like so much go. And he says this yeah. a commentary. He's like, I, I did not want this to end in a count out or DQ. Hey, the title's on the line. You know, this has to be a pitfall or submission. He lets a lot of stuff go that should have been a, a DQ. And you could tell, and this I think is a great part of the, of the story, is that you can tell that Graham is trying to get disqualified. Like, one, he's trying to get at Bruno, but two, if he gets disqualified, so much the better. He goes out and finds, like, a giant bull rope at some some point and tries to use that. He grabs the sock curl monsoon one at one point. Yeah, he hits hits Gorilla at one point, (laughs) and they let it go. But both guys eventually bleed, and the finish is uh, a double, I think, just a no contest because both guys are bleeding, and Gorilla calls it. And I was like, you let everything else go. And they're both bleeding no more than they were bleeding, say, a couple minutes ago. But now you you call it. So I thought the ending was a little sour. But yeah. the rest of it, again, like you said, love the chemistry between San Martino and Graham. Like that you could tell this was really a blood feud between them as it was a little more brawling. It was them really trying to get at each other. And the fact that a lot of times when you have a guest referee, it's just the gimmick of having the referee. Right. But Monsoon really is part of the story that they're trying to tell that he is part of the story. He's just not window dressing. And that made this really uh, fun to me. And as you mentioned, him doing commentary work over the match even adds a little more of an extra flavor to it. Again, you would only get that from, from grudge matches, which is an old Coliseum tape that they have available on the network. So yeah, so this was, again, I'm interested in going and watching some other other matches, but if we had to pick one, I think this was a great one, primarily for the monsoon involvement. Yeah, and like, like you know, this match is on here, you know, primarily because of the feud itself, which, you know, it has there's a lot of matches between these two out there, and it was a big transition point, obviously. Um, you know, Bruno was the guy for so long, and, uh, you know, he was getting older, obviously, and he wouldn't stop his in-ring work, but... Uh, they would transition to Billy Graham and then eventually to other champions. So uh, this was a big, uh, you know, kind of shifting point. All right, Leonard, what is your last match? So my last match is an NWA World Heavyweight title bout. Uh, Andre the Giant versus Harley Race. Best two out of three falls from Houston, from the Summit in Houston, Texas on January 7th, 1979, which is two days before I was born. Uh, and it's almost uh, a half hour. The whole video is that you can find on YouTube. So I, to a portion, I wanted to maybe find something from Harley Race. I also wanted to maybe find something from Andre the Giant uh, from what is considered to be, you know, his best period. And I found this match and said, okay, let's watch this and, and take a gander at it. Because what I love about this is that it's a completely different Andre match from anything I had ever seen and probably anyone of our age group, uh, you know, has seen. You know, you either see the later stuff where he's broken down or you see a clip of the novelty stuff from earlier in his career where he's 
you know, fighting three guys at once or a battle royal with 10 midgets and stuff like that. So um, I should mention also that there's no announcers, which makes it a little rough. And you can really kind of hear the ring, which to me sounds like popcorn popping. Yeah. yeah. And then Harley Race has a very odd, like, huh, huh, like sound that he makes. When he's saying, I think he's, I, I took that as him constantly saying no to the referee for the song. Okay. But I could be wrong about that, but that, like. <laughs> it's a very guttural sound that he's making. Like yeah. almost constantly so that's a little rough um but but there is a, a a big spot in this match that makes it kind of famous is at one point they go to the outside harley race gets andre in the gut with a chair and then body slams him on the concrete outside that's a very famous spot and wwf of course put out this thing before 1987 when wrestlemania 3 that nobody's ever slammed on their giant. That never happened. That's BS. Hulk Hogan even slammed Andre back in the 70s, you know, as well, or the early 80s when they had matches. So so Harley Race this is one of the more famous body slams because it was outside, because it was on uh, the concrete. Um, Andre is really interesting here because it's, um, you know, he's, he's, he's wrestling. You know, he scores a nice backdrop on Race towards the start. He gets a straight jacket sleeper on Harley, which blew my mind. And the way that he's got him and he's just like ramming him while he's doing it. I mean, yeah. it's really cool. Um, there's thunderous chops throughout. Andre gets a suplex. I mean, it's just, to, I mean, to me from comparing Andre here to what I've seen later on, it's like watching, you know, Kurt Angle. Right. Almost with what he's, with what he's doing, with what he's capable of, of, of doing here. Um, you know, I thought about just giving a list of every single move that Andre actually performs here. Uh, this is a longer match, so I like the pacing and I like the match construction because you get a high spot and then kind of a wear down move. And even those, like we were talking about earlier with, with Fez and uh, Vern Gagne, is they're working, they're selling, they're moving around the ring. It's just not a rest hold. Um, and even though this might not be a modern style, again, I think all the matches that we've picked are something that I think maybe a modern audience could get into if they allow themselves to get into. Um, so the first fall ends uh, with 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 the Harley with with the body slam, as I mentioned, and then uh, race. Uh, takes the fall by countout, and I don't know why that's not a DQ for Andre, but but he gets back in the ring and wins by countout. Right. Second fall, race gets really aggressive, and I think the story here is because he's got a fall to spare. You know, if he gets DQ'd or whatever, that's okay because he's he can weaken Andre and get that third fall. Uh, he even grabs a title belt at one point, and the referee takes it away. Uh, Andre throws race in from over the top of the ring, which is very cool. They go outside, he picks him up and throws him. That's a cool spot. And Andre wins with a splash. And to see Andre do this kind of full on body splash was really, you know, neat. You could tell where that would probably hurt someone. And then the third fall starts and I saw how much time was left in the video and I wasn't expecting much here. So basically Andre chases Harley out of the ring, rolls him back in, then Harley goes out through the corner to the other side and he grabs Andre's leg and won't let him enter. So it winds up being a double count out for both of them, which I don't know why the referee would allow that. That's a bullshit finish to me. <laughs> yeah. So even though there are probably better Andre's giant matches out there, 
uh, just watching anything from this time period, I think would really be worth your while against an established superstar like Harley Race. So even though I didn't, you know, like the finish of this, and I thought some of the finishes were very wonky here of these falls, um, I really did like the chemistry they they had, and I liked seeing Andre actually wrestle a match and not just do the late style Andre match that he was capable of only only capable of doing, you know, from about the mid eighties on. So, um, you know, again, I would be interested in finding more stuff of Andre from the seventies uh, against guys like Harley race. And, and I'll mention too, you know, we talk about how to find things and this seems to me maybe a series of NWA matches possibly from Houston. Cause I saw a few others kind of looks that looked about the same, same time period, same kind of, you know, look to it. Uh, so there are, are some things like that out there. But, uh, you know, what was your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, this was fun to watch. And it's certainly one of the better Andre the Giant matches that you'll see because he's in you know good shape here. You know, he's uh, more agile than he would become. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you take a look at some of the splashes that some of the later superstars would do. And, like, they're obviously trying to protect the guy. Um, but when Andre throws this splash, like, you know that, like, that's going to be the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought that they did have good chemistry. I mean, the fact that Andre got a butterfly suplex at one point was, uh, you know, just amazing to me. Um, but yeah, he was pulling out some moves that you don't see and some moves that you would continue to see him do like the, you know, the work in the corners and stuff like that he would become uh, known for. Um, and yeah, the body slam thing, you know, to me, that's like old at this point. It's like, okay, Hogan was not the first, like, that's how they wanted to promote it. And, you know. Other guys have slammed Andre the Giant. Antonio Inoki, there was a clip of him because he just passed away. Um, there was a, a picture of him slamming Andre. Other people have done it. Um, you know, Andre might have been a little bit lighter at this point, <laughs> but who knows? Um, but yeah, this was fun to watch. And yeah, it was a BS finish, but uh, Andre was not pinned and uh, Harley didn't lose the title. So I suppose that's how they were trying to uh, accomplish both of those goals. And uh, here you have it, right? Yeah. My last match, if we're going in chronological order here, is from September 24th, 1979. And it is WWF champion Bob Backlund versus WWF Intercontinental champion Pat Patterson in a steel cage match at Madison Square Garden. Um, and it's about... Uh, 16 minutes and 43 seconds long and I actually first watched this match years and years ago um, because you might not be able to see it but it is behind me is the WWF DVD set bloodbath uh, you know some of the great steel cage matches and um, this match is on there and that's why I chose to seek this out um, and another reason is because I definitely thought Bob Backlund needed to be represented somewhere um, because as we get into the 80s, I don't know that we're going to be featuring some of his matches or not. Maybe Leonard will. Who knows? But uh, I wanted to feature one of his matches here. And to me, this was a really good representation of Bob Backlund, even though he was known more as a, you know, Matt wrestler type person. And what I love about this match is that to me, this is unlike any other steel cage match you'll see. Yes. Uh, that was one thing I loved about it. But go ahead. Because this is like a desperation cage match both guys get in that ring and they want to get the f out like they just want to leave as much as possible pat patterson is constantly trying to escape that cage there is no slow climb bs here like they want to leave the cage and they want to win um 
and you will see some of the shots to the cage and they do brawl and uh, there is all of that stuff in it. Um, but that's what I found very interesting about this match is that both men were trying to get that. Their mission was to get out of the cage and they never really wavered from that unless they were trying to wear the other guy down. Um, this is a very bloody match. Hence why it's in that DVD set bloodbath. Um, as Leonard mentioned in an earlier match, they do build to the blood here. Um, and, you know, a lot of the reason that Bob Backlund bleeds is actually makes a lot of sense. You know, um, Pat Patterson reaches for one of the turnbuckles and just yeah. uses it as a weapon because that's what was there when he was like leaning into the corner. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for those who just know Bob Backlund's 90s stuff, you know, he was a spitfire. And, you know, the energy he has is just, you know, you, you can't even imagine like how ready to go this guy was. And man, the crowd was hot for this match. Um, they were into every single attempt at escape, whether it be Patterson or Backlund. Um, so yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good work from both guys here, Pat Patterson, you know, we all know him as one of the stooges, but uh, you know, he was the first intercontinental champion and he had a lot of great matches and feuds as well. This match was the blow off to what I read was like a four main event uh, run between these two guys. Uh, so, and it's a champion versus champion match, although I don't think the Intercontinental title was on the line. No, I don't believe it was. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, so this was the blow off match. Steel Cage was the ultimate blow off at this point. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend uh, going to check it out. Again, you can find, well, this one I think is available on Daily Motion. And let, if you don't have the DVD set that I mentioned, so. Yes, yes. I believe Daily Motion was, was how you got it to me. Um, yeah, you know, that's what I loved about this is that so often I've said it and other fans have said it. Why do you have a, a cage match where the option, where the, uh, the point of it is to uh, escape? Well, we're going to do this cage to keep you in, but you have to get out. And it usually, and that's why I love this match because I've never seen that style really work before. Usually, the story is about brutalizing the other guy, and that was kind of the, the cage match between Bruno and Stan Hansen that we talked about. But it was them brutalizing each other, and then San Martino leaving when he felt he had enough. As you said, as soon as that cage door closes, they're trying to get out the door, trying to climb over. There's a very long segment where Patterson has his leg hooked over the cage, and I thought he was going to blow his knee out. I thought that looked really scary. That's honestly one of the scarier things I've, I've ever seen in a match because it was so long of him hanging up there yeah. and how he kept kind of falling backwards. I thought he was going to. I thought we were going to see his kneecap fly out. I mean, that's how torqued that 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 leg was over the cage. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it was soon. And then to him getting the turnbuckle uh, key, as they call it, and and using that, um, he also uh, pulls brass knuckles uh, out of his tights at one point. And, and I thought that was kind of overkill because he already had the turnbuckle. Just use right. that. You know, and why are you just now pulling the brass knuckles out at the very end? That's a kind of a hat on a hat thing, but a very minor uh, quibble here with that. So I thought this was a really fun uh, match with the style and the pacing and just how they work this cage match. And I would love to see someone today do this type of cage match, because I think after the first few minutes, I, I the fans would probably go bananas for how they're trying to work that style that it's not just let's get in there and fight it's hey if the goal is to win 
And to win, you have to either climb out or get out the door, then that's what we're going to do. And yeah, I mean, I was very surprised by having never seen this before. I was very surprised by it and pleasantly surprised. I love this. I think this might be of all the matches we've all watched. This was probably my favorite. And right. I certainly liked it better than my cage match, even though I'd like that one as well. But this one was just, if you've not seen it, I would highly recommend to find it because you will not be bored by it, even if you're a young fan and you've only been watching for a few years. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we had mentioned that maybe Blender did, I forget, but a lot of these WWF matches, Vince McMahon is the sole commentator. Yes. Uh, I think all the ones that we have, he's the only one, except for the gorilla one we talked about. Right. Yeah. And that one was obviously done post, but, uh, but yeah, Vince, uh, you know, for a long time was the sole commentator for a lot of those events. Um, and, uh, obviously he does, he does a good job. I mean, you know, he, you know, did it for long enough. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of the WWF old school, which is some of the early eighties, MSG, Boston garden, uh, Philadelphia stuff. And, and a lot, a lot of those he's joined by grill monsoon and grills working almost like a heel, color position which is kind of interesting to to hear him do and of right. course that ends up segueing later into monsoon and ventura being a top team and vincent jesse being a top team uh, as well but uh, yeah it's kind of interesting and the match that you had between fez and ganya i don't remember the the uh, name of the uh, announcer but that was just forget, a single, yeah single announcer as well but he definitely i think sounded very very knowledgeable he was calling moves uh, different names than we know it, but that's probably because yeah. we called it back then, and that's fine. Uh, not to not to digress from from that, but yeah, it is interesting to hear the different style of, of commentary that we got on these as well. Yeah, and you know, so let us know what you thought of our selections here. And uh, like I said, there's a world of stuff out there that you can research. Um, like I said, Leonard mentioned, uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole. Maybe he did that off air. But uh, it is, I think I said that on there, but it yeah. is kind of a rabbit hole. Like if you go down, you know, the uh, pathway of the pre 1980 stuff, you'll find yourself getting more invested in some of the other feuds. Like there's a lot of, a lot of feuds that we didn't mention, you know, yeah. Dusty and Harley race, like Harley race is probably yeah. the guy of the seventies. Uh, yes. And, and he I had so it. many great feuds. We didn't mention anything with Jimmy Snuka. Um, I was interested. I want to try to find some Gene Gene Snitsky, not Gene Snitsky. I was going to say, oh, my gosh, what are we talking about? (laughs) Gene Kanitsky. Gene Kanitsky. And Dory Funk Jr. I wanted to try to find some of their stuff. I'm not sure if it's out there. just didn't get into it. Uh, But Gene Kanitsky and Dory Funk Jr., that would be a heck of a contest. (laughs) But, yeah, and I wanted to try to find some Harley Race uh, flair stuff from the late 70s because I believe that the famous match from 83 – uh, might have been the the second the second title change between them. Or well, I know it's, it, it, yeah, that was definitely Flair's second. Yeah. And so yeah, I think they did face each other before. Yeah. I, I tried, you know, I tried for a little bit to look at Ric Flair stuff, and you know, obviously he would come into his own fully until the- Rick, you know. I mean, there's some good late '70s Flair stuff that that I've seen some things, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure next time when we do our favorite match of the 1980s, that we will each have at least one Flair match. I could probably give you ten Flair matches from 1989, right? Alone, easily, yeah, absolutely, and that. So it'll be interesting, and so please join us next time as we do cover our favorite matches from the 1980s which will be a much more interesting list because that's when Leonard and I were growing up. 
Right. Uh, so uh, I'm anxious to see what we both uh, come up with. So like I said, let us know what you thought of our selections. If you disagree or agree, or if there's ones that you thought we missed, um, which I'm sure there are, but uh, check us out on Apple podcasts and or Spotify. Uh, check out our random match reviews and our stupid questions videos. And uh, please hit the like button on our YouTube video and subscribe to our content where you can. Every little bit helps. For Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next time. And Alexa, will see you out.